Amen. Good morning. God bless you for being here today. Uh, today we're going to take the opportunity to talk about the uh, seven feasts of the Lord. And uh, if you're new to Grace Point, we do that every year um, in congruence with the actual feast, God's calendar. When you say the word feast to an average American person, what do you think about? Just eating till you can't eat any more. But that's not what the word means in the Bible, uh, at least not in this context. The word feast is a Hebrew word, moed, and it simply means an appointed time. Um, and so God, in his wisdom, Almighty God, he set aside uh, these seven appointed times. And in Leviticus 23, we're not going to go there and read all the verses, take too much time, but uh, in Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 1, God in that one chapter, goes from chaos to eternity. He, he outlines his calendar. Uh, his prophetic things are, are interwoven in these appointed times, these feasts. And the Bible does in Leviticus 23 call them the feast of the Lord. Now, they're not the feast of Israel. And God begins with Passover, and he gives them in order all the way till we get to where we are presently today is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It ends tonight at sundown. And, uh, and so we've missed something awesome if we don't understand these feasts. And I know some of you hear me talk about them every year. hope you don't get tired of it. I don't get tired of talking about them. But if you don't know God's calendar, you, you're going to miss God's plan for this world and particularly for man and for you. And so that's what I want to talk to you today about. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this appointed time to be together, to be in your house, to be with your people. And Father, you said that if two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And I pray for that manifested presence of the Lord today to be all that you desire to do in our hearts and in our lives today. We bless you and your people in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says amen. Turn around and look somebody in the face. Give them a big smile. Tell them they're looking so good this morning. All right, that's enough. They ain't looking that good. Come on. Amen. I uh, so appreciate last uh, Sunday, Pastor John Lewis. Didn't he do an awesome job? Uh, Raymond Word, we're so thankful to have him part of our apostolic team. He's part of our network. He is a true son in the Lord. And uh, I think you could tell that by the things that he said, could you not? Um, I, before I get into this, lest I forget that, I, I do want to take time. I mean, isn't this beautiful? I know some of you have seen it before, maybe some of you. Uh, I'm, when I first started, uh, came here and I started teaching this, I would just write the names on a piece of poster paper and have, you, have some, my, my elders and I'll stand up there for a bit. And uh, so Mary Lee Barnes uh, uh, painted these. Mary Lee, would you wave your hand? It, what a <laughs> uh, she did an awesome job. It's just a beautiful artistic work. Mary Lee, thank you again. We never get tired of looking at them. Val Mayo uh, built the easels uh, that they are presented on. And, uh, and if I get to it, I, uh, we're going to talk about the lampstand in just a moment. Andy Fletcher, one of our elders that has become a world traveler, I think John told me he's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania today or somewhere. Uh, 
but he, he built that with his own hands. So we, we, we appreciate Andy and all the people. It just helps me to illustrate what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, this is such a huge subject, and uh, I'm going to try to do it as concise as I can. But all of this right here, these feasts of the Lord that he outlines uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, is God's calendar. And what has happened is over the, 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 the years from that, uh, man has come up with his own calendar. Now, you and I go off a Gregorian calendar named after Pope Gre uh, Gregory. Uh, he instituted that in 1524. All our months are named after Roman gods or, or deists and, you know, Julius, Julius Caesar and August, it's Augustus Caesar and, and stuff like that. And, and, it's, and it's totally heathen in nature. In other words, it's not biblical. And, and yet that doesn't mean, you know, you want to waste a lot of time trying to destroy our calendar because we still call this month, you know, October and we're just to go into November. So you just, it's a pointless war. But the, the main thing is to be called back to God's calendar. And, and, and we have missed something tremendous because the, the reason God gave this, one of the reasons is that only God himself could make a day sovereign and holy and special. And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Every country, every nation, every people have days to celebrate. I mean, he doesn't love a celebration. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with us as America celebrating the 4th of July, our Independence Day. And that's totally, you know, God's not upset with that. But what has happened is that the Bible talked about the Antichrist spirit or the, the, the devil, the enemy. In Daniel 7, Daniel prophesied that the enemy would desire to change times and seasons. And, and what Satan's desire always is, is just to pull you away from God's calendar. And so you don't think about it. And so like just for example, if you went to Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1 is a detailed step-by-step -step, uh explanation and, and uh, of the Passover and tells them how to keep it, what to do. And one of the things that it says in Exodus chapter 12 is he says, when your children, in other words, as you keep these feasts, and he wasn't talking about just Passover, he's talking about all of them, but as you keep these feasts, these appointed times, and your children ask you, why are we doing this? Then you are to say to them, well, the reason we're doing this is because this is the day that God brought his people out of Egyptian bondage out of bondage and you begin to teach them but our children are not asking us those questions because we're not keeping those days and so we're not connected now on our calendar January 1st is the new year and uh, that's just something that man totally made up but on God's calendar the Passover is the new year now some of you that kind of keep up with some things you think well I thought Rosh Hashanah was the new year or that would be the the, the feast of trumpets it is on the Jewish uh, civil calendar but that's something that they did after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But it's not in the Bible. So God declares that my new year, your new year, he told the children of Israel this, begins with this first feast. There's seven feasts. There's so much of this, and God, seven shows up all throughout the Bible. God made it. God decided there'd be seven days in a week. Uh, there would be uh, seven spirits of God prophesied in Isaiah. They would be uh, the seven churches uh, of Asia Minor. They would be all these sevens and sevens and sevens show up in the Bible. And God set up these seven times. Now, nobody can argue about the significance of these feasts when they look and see what occurred on these feasts and incongruence with these feasts. So, uh, 
God has fulfilled already. And all of these Colossians said, he said in Colossians in the New Testament, but don't let anybody judge you regarding times and seasons and Sabbaths. Now, he's not telling you not to keep them. He's just telling you that don't let anybody judge you over those things because he said that they are all shadows, and, uh, but the substance of them is Christ. So everything up here, the reason I'm taking time to talk about this is because I'm talking about Jesus. Every one of these feasts uh, depicts a t uh, of Jesus. It's, it's a picture of Jesus Christ and what, he, what his redemption has done for us and what we can look forward to in the future to expect coming from him. The, the spring feast, these that occur in spring of the year, they've already been fulfilled in totality. So has the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. But these fall feasts that we're in now, coming to a conclusion of tabernacles, have not yet. They are all futuristic. So we are living between the Feast of, of, uh, of Weeks here, and we're living between, the, that's the church age, between the Feast of Trumpets. And so all these feasts depict things that Christ done. Now, I don't have the time, and that's why I'm kind of disciplined myself. I didn't bring a note one, okay? Uh, not that I think I'm a walking Bible, but if I try to start reading verses and all that, get, we'll be here the next week. So I'm just going to give you a quick overview, really, of this. You could, you could talk for months on this stuff, obviously. But God's calendar begins with Passover. Now, Passover happened because God's people went into bondage in Egypt. And uh, uh, Egypt at that time, the most powerful nation on the face of the globe. And here they had been there as a people. They're unorganized. They're slaves. They've been there for generations, actually 430 years. And God speaks to a man named Moses who he sent there to deliver them. He kind of fumbled the ball and messed up, killed an Egyptian and fled and thought it was over with. And then God got his attention and spoke to him through a burning bush. And that bush was burning, but yet it was not consumed. Now, that bush symbolizes the Hebrew people, what would become known as the nation of Israel. And they have been through many fires, and they have since then. And though they've been in the fiery trials, and they've been attacked, and they've been burned, so to speak, but they've never been consumed because they are a shining light. And just as God spoke to Moses out of that bush that was burning but not consumed, God has always spoke to this world out of the, Israel, uh, the people of Israel. And he, and he has spoken to them, and he chose them to deliver us Jesus. And whether you like it or lump it, you've got to love it. Jesus was a Jew, and our Messiah is a Jew, and he came as a Jew. And what has happened is through Constantinople and, and a lot of things that happened in history that has pulled us away from our Jewish roots. And when you get pulled away from your Jewish roots, then it makes you interpret the Bible through your Americanized Christianity and you miss tremendous amounts of revelation and you come up with foolish things. And a lot of what we do today and teach as, as, as this, this absolute Bible is just totally nothing but traditions of men and there's no Bible for it. And if we knew the Jewishness of our Messiah and of the Bible and the Jewish authors inspired by the Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible, we wouldn't make all these mistakes, but we don't. So one of the things God wants to do is call us back to our Jewish roots. Because if you don't know your Jewish roots, then you'll preach the woman at the well as a harlot. If you don't know your Jewish roots, you'll declare that Jesus died on Good Friday. And he didn't. And you'll declare thing after thing, and you'll think it's just absolute truth, but it's nothing more than a mere tradition of men. And it has no biblical basis whatsoever. 
And I saw some of you kind of took the uh, woman at the well thing, but when I said Good Friday, oh, your head rocked. <laughs> but if you knew these feasts, you would know Good Friday's not true. If you knew the feast, but we don't know the feast. Most average Christians in America, I would say, I don't mean this arrogantly, they've never even heard one message on it. They've never been taught anything about it. And you ask them about the feast of the Lord, they wouldn't even know what you were talking about. And Satan loves that. He loves that. If I had the time, I could really prove to you, I believe, by the preponderance of the evidence of Scripture. And everything that God did, he did in congruence with these feasts. They're not happenstance. I could show you that Jesus himself was born, no doubt, on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, everything that Jesus did and all of it around, surrounding his birth was surrounded by this last Feast of Tabernacles called the Feast of Our Joy. Uh, joy to the world. <laughs> you know, the Lord has come. All those things, the light has come into the world. And it's too long to try to get and tell you exactly, you know, all of that. But that, that's not as important as this. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, Paul said, was crucified for us. And so I want you to think about this for a second. You got the Hebrew people in Egypt. Egypt is an is a, is a unwalled city. They don't need a wall. They have a desert. And that desert is formidable. It keeps out their enemies. They can't survive the wilderness that surrounds those Egyptian pyramids. And uh, all these Hebrews, unkept, unorganized, slaves, the dirt of Egypt under their nails and in their hair, and yet God says, you're my people. And I promised Abraham Isaac and them, Jacob, that your seed would be as the sands of the sea and as the stars in heaven. And God is a covenant-promising, covenant-keeping God. And God raises up a deliverer named Moses, and he sends him in there. And God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he can go after every one of those false deities of Egypt. And there were ten of them, in ending with the death of the firstborn. And even Pharaoh himself was worshipped as God, but yet a son's God died. And what was the remedy that God sent and that they called Passover? Why did they call it Passover? Listen to me. There's only been one Passover in history, and that happened in Egypt some over 4,000 years ago. And every Passover observance since then Subsequent to that has been simply a memorial of that initial one Passover. And what redeemed those people, what saved those people, what spared those people was the blood of a lamb. And each household had to hear the word of God spoken to them and they had to put their faith in that word to bring that lamb and to sacrifice that lamb and to apply the lamb's blood to the doorpost and to the lintel, the top of the door. And to then get behind that door and stay in that home. And when that death spirit came, through the land of Egypt, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over that house. There will be no judgment. Listen to me. What was it that spared those people? What was it that kept them from dying? It was not their performance. It was not the good deeds that they had done. It was not the church services they had attended. It was the blood of the lamb that spared them. It was nothing that they did. That's grace. 
And so they applied, they put confidence in God's word. They applied that blood to their doorpost and they got behind it and they just rested in that. And no death, no harm. In fact, life was given to them, not death. And every person that didn't do it, that didn't put their trust in that blood, from Pharaoh's house on down, the firstborn of that house died that night. They were not passed over. Death came. Now, just like there was only been one Passover, and we've just been observing it all these centuries later, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed one time. But the difference is here, we're not, I know you hear people say this, but we don't do it. So, well, you got to apply the blood. You can't apply the blood. There's nothing in the Bible about you applying the blood of Jesus. He applied the blood for you. There's nothing in the Bible about you pleading the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood. There's nothing in the Bible, but it does say that his blood pleads for you. It says the blood of Christ speaks a more excellent thing than the blood of Cain or of Abel that was murdered by Cain. And so his blood speaks for you. And so what God did himself, because man couldn't save himself, God took his own blood, the blood of his own self, his own son, and God applied that blood to sin, not just to the sin of the church or the sin of this or this people or that people, but the sin of the world. And God itemized and annihilated and destroyed the power of sin to ever again hold a human in bondage. And what you do when you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, you actually enter into the benefit of what he's already accomplished. You freely receive that grace that's been given to you. For the grace of God has appeared to all men. And it's not that God just forgave you. It's God forgave the world of their sin when his son died on the cross because there's only one thing that causes our God to forgive of, of, of sin, and that is the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. God don't forgive you of your sin because you cry, because you're sorrowful, because you repent, because you ask him to. That's not why God forgives you. You enter into that benefit of that by maybe some of those things, by changing your mind. But you, you, you put your faith in what Jesus has accomplished, and you're not trying to coerce or ask or plead or beg God to forgive you. He's already forgiven you. That's why he's not angry. He says, be reconciled to me because I've already reconciled myself to you. I've forgiven the world of sin. I'm not angry with you anymore. That's the lie of the devil. Come home to your father. Enjoy the benefits of that forgiveness. Receive life is what you need in the first place and receive that eternal life that is a gift to you from God. Walk in that righteousness that God gives to you as a, just a free gift to you. And now freely you've received, now freely you give that. I need a drink on that one. Don't matter how many times we put these posters up, it's never the same, is it? Everything begins when you get saved. Everything begins with Passover. And God told Moses, Passover shall be the beginning of your new year. Just imagine how different maybe America and our world would be if we were still going off of this calendar instead of our own. What if we celebrated around April, March, April, what you call Easter, which is not a thing at all. But what if we said this is New Year? And our kids would say, why is this New Year? Because we're remembering the Passover. And everything begins by partaking of the Passover lamb. And you would have, a, you'd have, a, you'd have the whole world 
have to hear the story about how Jesus became our Passover lamb and died for it. And this is what Satan enjoys because we go right through it and now that time of the year is not our new year and it's basically just taken up with Easter bunnies and eggs. And I'm not saying go on a war and try to you know, stamp that out. You're never going to kill the Easter bunny. You might well try to work with him. You're not going to kill the guy in the red suit with the beard either. You can waste a lot of time, church money, and effort trying to be one of those Christians. And you can ignore it and stay home and hide and not put a tree in your house. And you can do all those things. And I've lived some of that. I've tried some of that. And I've run some people off because I wouldn't participate in that. My God, you put a Christmas tree in the house of God. You don't have to go to war necessarily with the culture around you. You just have to show them a better culture in a better way. And so Passover depicts of Jesus dying on the cross. Now, it is the first month of the Jewish calendar called Nisan. Uh, it happens on the 14th day of the first month of Nisan. The lamb is sacrificed the Passover lamb if we knew about all of these feasts again we would never again accept the tale that they were three wise men at the manger and you go why do you even care about all that stuff or aggravate people because you don't know the feast what's the big deal well the big deal is the Bible's about the biggest deal I know of and it's not in there but we, we're so far from our Jewish roots that we have just tried to really, not maybe intentionally, but Americanize Christianity. So the Passover happens on the 14th. The very next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now it actually begins a seven-day feast, and whatever day that that hits on is a Sabbath. Now on the Jewish calendar, Hebrew calendar, the Sabbath, there is a regular weekly Sabbath. It happens every Friday at sundown, and it ends Saturday at sundown. On the Jewish calendar, our Americanized minds think that 6 o'clock in the morning begins our day. That's not how God sees it. When God instituted time and a Sabbath, and you understand the Sabbath predates everybody. When God did the world, created the world, he instituted a Sabbath. And on that day he rested. Our children are supposed to ask us why we don't do any work on that day. But we don't keep it no more. So they don't ask us. And again we miss an opportunity to tell them how to enter into the real Sabbath. Which is a person. Not a day of the week. And his name is Jesus. And you cease from your labor. And you cease trying to live good enough to please God. And all those ridiculous religious things. And you rest in him. And the work that he's done. But we're away from it. So if you understand that there's not, there's not, there's a weekly Sabbath, whatever day of the week that that Feast of Unleavened Bread hits on, that day is a Sabbath, whatever day it is. Now I don't know if stuff like this excites you, <clears throat> but it sure does me. And I, I love the Bible. I love Jesus. I, I love studying the Word of God. And I've been doing it for a couple of years now. 
And uh, I want you to understand, and, and, and again, it doesn't change anything really, but I like knowing what the truth is, and I like my children to know what the truth, and I like my church to know what the truth is. And so that day becomes the Sabbath. Now, it depicts Jesus going into the grave, unleavened bread, no yeast, no sin. He's sinless, he's spotless. Leaven symbolizes sin every time but one in the New Testament. Uh, one time it symbolizes the kingdom of God. But mostly it depicts sin, how it goes in, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump, a little bit of sin that just destroys the whole thing. And so the, it's saying that Jesus would not stay in the grave and his body would not suffer decay. And then the very next day, on the third day, everybody say third day, then we've got the feast of first fruits, which is depicted here. First fruits uh, depict several things. Now, one of the things that we do is we take communion in church, right? And we have the bread and the wine. That's what Jesus did on the night before he, the next day, was crucified. And so we, we, we do that. We, we honor that. And that's a way, really, when we do communion, most Christians don't even understand that, but we're actually reliving that Passover, okay? That's why we use unleavened bread, you know, doing the communion. Um, and we keep that today. Now, what you'll see depicted, and I didn't even tell Mary Lee what I'll do, and she just made excellent choices. And with many pictures, she could have done whatever. But you see, you see here in the first fruit, you see a red ribbon around some of the barley or wheat harvest. And what they would do in that agrarian society is when the first harvest began to come, they would go out and they would put red ribbons around the first of it. And they would cut that off and bring that to the Lord. It's your tithe. It's, we, we don't give God leftovers. We don't wait till we pay all our bills and see if we're going to make it and then we'll see what we can give God. We in faith in him as our provider. Out of honor, not out of, not out of a bill. You don't pay tithes. You don't pay tithes. You give tithes. Why do you give it? Because... Communion, when we do communion, it says every time we do communion, we are testifying that he died. Do this in remembrance of what? Remembrance of my death. But the Bible says in Hebrews 9, every time you give a tithe, you're testifying that he lives. That he ever liveth. And so on first fruits, Jesus became the first fruit of many brethren. And Jesus came out of the tomb, out of the grave. And he did not stay in the grave. Now, let me tell you something that's an absolute fact. Nobody can argue. I don't care what church you go to. You can't argue with this. On God's calendar, Jesus Christ was crucified on the exact day of Passover. You think that was an accident? Jesus Christ was put on the tomb, put in the tomb on unleavened bread. Now, that day of unleavened bread was a Sabbath. So, if you understood that, you would read the New Testament with John where he said on that day was a high day, or the NIV calls it a special Sabbath. Special Sabbath. And the reason <clears throat> that we don't know that is that's where you come, that's where people that don't know these things I'm talking about, that's where you come up with Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. Because all they know about is one Sabbath a week. So they just crammed the crucifixion in there on Friday. 
And then they got a Sunday morning resurrection, which both are wrong. I just want to let that sink in just a minute. There is no Sunday morning resurrection. Jesus didn't raise on Sunday. Kind of messes up, you know, resurrection Sunday, don't it? It don't mess up the resurrection. You can celebrate his resurrection on Sunday. But if you're going to celebrate his resurrection, show up at church about Saturday night, about 6 o'clock. That's when he resurrected. So it's a Saturday night resurrection. You don't have to get up and go out to the grave that early on Sunday morning to the graveside services, resurrection services. Just show up at church on Saturday night about 6 and sleep in next day. If you want to do it the right way. How do you know that? Because the Pharisees asked Jesus, how do we know you're the Messiah? Give us a sign. Jesus' own mouth said, the only sign that will be given to you is the sign of Jonas the prophet. And as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's how you'll know I'm the Messiah. Do you know what three days and three nights? Would you tell me, mathematical geniuses, what three days and three nights come up to in hours? How many hours is three days and three nights? 72 hours. Friday night, Friday crucifixion, buried before sundown, and Sunday morning resurrection, how many hours you come up with? 36. Is that three days and three nights? Did Jesus know what a day and night was? Reckon. Jesus said, work while it is yet day. For is there not 12 hours in a day and 12 hours in a night? There's no way in the world you can bury somebody on Friday, get them out on Thursday, I mean on Sunday morning, and say they've been in there three days and three nights. The Bible, New Testament, is filled with promises of three days. On the third day I shall rise. On the third day, that's not the third day. It's not the third day. So in actuality, Jesus was crucified on Wednesday. He was crucified on Wednesday afternoon, and Thursday of that year was the Feast of Unleavened starting. Passover, Jesus kept it with his disciples. The next day was going to be a Sabbath. That's why the Jews come to Pilate and said the Sabbath is approaching it is against our law for them to be on the cross let us break their legs so they'll die we can get them down before sundown it will violate our Sabbath for them to be hanging on the cross Pilate said go they went to break their legs Jesus was already dead they didn't break his and so fulfilled the prophecy that not a bone of his body would ever be broken they got them down the ladies did not have time to prepare the bodies properly because it takes time to do that. And so all they did was just wrap them in linen and put them in the grave. And that's all they had time to do because they could not be doing any of that kind of stuff on the Sabbath. So we know that Jesus was put in the tomb. And if you know when he was put in, you'll know when he got out. Because if he's there one minute past 72 hours, he's not getting out on the third day. He's getting out on the fourth day. If he gets out one minute prior to that, he's not getting out on the third day. God knows time. Why is this important, Pastor Dale? Because it's in the Bible, and the Bible's important. Now, there's actually some people that read the Bible and would challenge Christian faith based on the fact that we go around hauling Good Friday. 
so I'm not going to play with your good Friday services. Good Wednesday. It's only good because he paid for the sin of the world by that. Good for us. Painful for him. That became a Sabbath. So that was on Thursday that Sabbath hit. All right, so they had to wait till that Sabbath ends. So then Friday morning, the Sabbath was over. Sundown Thursday, Sunday, I mean sundown Friday. And so that's, the Sabbath was over. So now the women could go back and prepare the bodies properly. That's why they went back a second time. And when they went back, while it was still dark, while it was still dark, he was gone. All these things happened in congruence. And so all of these three feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Jesus got out of the tomb on first fruits. All right? He's out of the tomb. He's resurrected. Now the next feast happens in the summer. On our calendar, it's around June every year. This will either be March or April, depending on the calendar. Because we use a solar calendar, 365 days. The Jewish people, Hebrew calendar is based on lunar. So 354 days. So it's a different calendar. That's why it fluctuates every year. Some, some years we'd celebrate Feast of Tabernacles in September. Like this year, it's in October because of our calendar difference, not theirs. Then when Jesus is out of the tomb, he walks around for 40 days. There's a lot of significance in that. I just don't have time to get into that. But just like they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 days, Jesus is among them. He teaches them, talks to them, appears to them. And then he goes out to the Mount of Olives and he says, I'm going to depart. And he said, but you go to Jerusalem and tarry or wait until you be endued with power from on high. For I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send my spirit who will not only be with you, but he shall be in you. He is the spirit of truth. He is the comforter. And when he comes, he will lead and guide you into all truth. And so then we go... And Jesus is caught up into the heavens, into the clouds right before them. And they see him lift off. And the angels even come and they're still standing there. I mean, who wouldn't stand there a while? And he said, men why of Israel, why do you stand here gazing into the heavens? For this same Jesus that you've seen depart from you shall come again in like manner than which you have seen him go. In other words, get on about your business and get, get, get going with what God said. And so we get to the Feast of Weeks. The reason it's called Feast of Weeks is the next feast on God's calendar, he said, would occur seven weeks after the Feast of first fruits. So he, he said, count seven weeks of seven. Seven times seven is what? Forty-nine. And then he said in the Bible, on the next day is the Feast of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. So when you say, I'm Pentecostal, you're saying, I'm 50. The word Pentecost just means 50. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, they are to celebrate. They're to bring two loaves. It really represents the Jews and the Gentiles coming into one family. It was the inauguration of the church, the birth of the church, if you will. And so how long were they in the upper room waiting on the uh, that, that Holy Spirit promised to come, 10 days. It's foolishness today to wait on the Spirit or wait on as far as being in field with the Spirit and all that kind of thing that, that a lot of people get confused about. You don't tarry today. They tarried then. Now, when I was raised up in Pentecost, we were taught that you got into a prayer room, you beg, plead, claw, fast, pray, 
you know, try to repent all your sins, get your plate clean as you can, and then maybe God will move. They could have been up in the upper room playing Scrabble and, uh, and never prayed and the Holy Spirit would have still poured out on them. You don't hear that every day in church. They could have been up there playing their video games. He just told them to assemble and wait. Why didn't he pour it out ahead of time? Did they earn it through 10 days? Of no. No. God did it in congruence with his feast. And the Bible says in Acts 2, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, then as a sound of a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit descended upon them, filled the whole house in which they were assembled. Cloven tongues of fire descended down and appeared above their heads, and they began to speak in other tongues that they were not taught. The power of God was so strong that day that they used a, uh, a disciple named Peter who had denied he even knew Jesus just a few days earlier. Now he gets the privilege in the pulpit to go out and preach the gospel. And 3,000 people get born again on that day. And the harvest starts coming in. God did it exactly in congruence with the feast. Now let me say this to you. Can't you see how, how the, everything God's done, he did it with these feasts. Now, what in the world would make you think he's going to ignore the last three? These first three have to do with his first coming. These last three have to do with his second coming. All of these four feasts have been fulfilled in totality. These last three are yet to be fulfilled. We are living somewhere between here and here, and it is the church age. This is where we're living. And we are awaiting the Feast of Trumpets. This is the rapture of the church. This is when the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them and we shall meet the Lord in the air and forever shall we be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now again, this bothers some people. I don't mean to bother you. You're free. You can believe what you want to. I'm not going to believe with you because that would make both of us wrong. I was raised on an any-minute rapture. God can come any minute. Before you can get out the door, God's coming. I remember being 13, 14, praying that God wouldn't come because I wanted to wait and get my driver's license first. I didn't want the Lord to come back. I had things I wanted to do. Was I the only one that dumb? Or I'm not, I want you to come, but wait till I'm old before you come back. Man, them preachers would scare me. And they'd sing just as I am, tell four car wreck stories. You know, and it would just... Well, and again, because we don't know these feasts, we get confused about scriptures like, no man knoweth the day nor the hour of our Lord's coming. And then so they use that phrase to teach an any-minute rapture. If you thought that you're gonna, somebody's going to come get you any minute, you can't live that way. In other words, if I told you I'm going to be there, Pastor Keith, pick you up any minute. Pastor Keith's out there waiting. He's looking. Her brother left. And then, you know, he might be really expectant. And after a while, I don't believe he's coming. <laughs> no, he ain't coming. It's the next day. That's kind of how the church has gotten. 
No, he ain't coming. He ain't coming back. He's not coming back. All these feasts depict his first coming. These depict his second coming. Just as surely as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. Now, if you don't agree with this, fine. You live with that. I lived it. You'll survive it. You can still go to heaven when you die. And I've always said this as my disclaimer. If we get raptured on July the 4th, with a firecracker in one hand and a watermelon slice in another, I, well, as we're going through the clouds, I'm going to say, my bad. I thought, we'd, I, thought I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> but the end result, we still win. We still go into heaven. So don't fight me, okay? I'm not trying to pick a fight. But on one of these feasts, on one of these years, on the Feast of Trumpets, in congruence with this feast, the trumpet of God shall sound, and we will be gone. So it didn't happen this year. Whew. Okay, you can breathe a sigh of release. Just look for next year because we're past it. He's not going to come this year. It'll be at least a year. And I know that sounds arrogant. It's not arrogant. It's just biblical. Why would he ignore the feast? I don't have time, but when he blows that shofar, that's what she's got depicted. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. He's not sending Gabriel. He's not sending anybody else this time. Why? Because he's coming after his bride. No man sends another man to pick up his wife. <laughs> I'm going to get him myself. I got this. And he's coming after a bride, not a harem. He's not coming after Baptists and Methodists and the Church of Gods and Nazarenes and all the. He's coming after one bride with one spirit who has one Lord, who's gone through one baptism and has one faith. That's who he's coming after. And yes, they will come from all those tribes, but they come to one Savior, one Messiah, one Lord, Jesus Christ. They'll come out of the Catholic Church. They'll be rescued out of Islam. They'll come out of every denomination, creed, tongue, and people. And when they stand before the throne of God and they're waving palm branches and giving glory to God, they will retain their tribe, their ethnicity, their race, and they will not lose that. And of every nation and kindred and tongue shall be around the throne of God, magnifying, worshiping, and praising God. Amen? That's the Bible. And so all of these feasts, Passover, the Feast of, of Weeks or Pentecost, they, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles that we're just concluding. Hadn't it been a beautiful full moon? We were up in the mountains last week with the grandbabies, a couple of them, and the, it was, oh, man, that moon was just awesome. All the Feast of the Lord up here are, occur on the full moon, with the exception of one, and that is the Feast of Trumpets. This is the only feast that begins on the new moon. In other words, there'll just be a sliver of the moon. And in fact, they cannot declare this feast. And understand in Bible days, they ain't got a computer. They don't have a smartphone. They, they're not looking all this stuff up online. And so they were assigned two priests, and they are to watch the heavens because sometimes it, the moon and its appearance could be obscured by clouds, by weather. And they were to watch the heavens, and it had to be confirmed by two different priests and soon as they saw the first sliver, and for a 48-hour period of time, they would watch the heavens. They would watch. They'd be watchful, looking. Be watchful. Watch, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch. That's what he's talking about. 
and they would watch. And as soon as they saw just a sliver of the moon appear, then they would sound the trumpet. And when the people heard those shofars blast, they would go, it is now the Feast of Trumpets. And it would begin a solemn fall feast. That's why he said no man knows the day or the hour. It's only when the priests blow the trumpet. They don't know the day. He's not saying to say God's going to come any day. He's going to come in congruence with the blowing of the trumpet. You can't read the New Testament Bible without knowing that the trumpet is going to be involved. Why would God ignore? Why would God fulfill all these feasts precisely, detailed, and ignore the last three? He's not going to do it. This is his calendar. And so that's why it's not like day or hour he can come any day. No, we don't know when that trumpet's going to blow, but we know within a 48-hour period of time when it's going to blow. If you don't believe that, still be happy. I don't care. I guess I do. I wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> After this feast starts, then we have a 10-day stretch where we have the Day of Atonement. You see a goat there with a ribbon tied around his horns. They would be two identical goats. This was instruction of this Day of Atonement feast. And they were to bring those two goats before the priesthood, before the people. Now, one goat would have a red ribbon around his neck. That goat was going to be sacrificed, throat slit, and offered as a sacrifice. The other goat would have a ribbon around his horn. And uh, the priest would take uh, uh, the ribbon off the goat's neck before they cut his throat, and they would nail that ribbon to the temple. Now, Jewish history, uh, history, not Bible, tells us that many times is they would nail that scarlet ribbon to the temple door, and once they offered the sacrifice, uh, it, would, it would turn white supernaturally. The, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And that God would give that to a sign for his people that your sins as a nation have been atoned for. And uh, they would take the goat with the ribbon around his horns, and that's the, called the scapegoat. That's where that term comes from. And they would, they would lay their hands on the head of that goat and depict uh, all their sins, you know, uh, being transferred to this goat. And they would lead him out into the wilderness and turn him loose. But to their horror, many times that goat would find his way back home. And here it would be a week, two weeks later, here comes the scapegoat coming back in to Jerusalem. And it would just horrify the priesthood. And so they said, we've got to put an end to this. So they started carrying the scapegoat out to the cliff of the city and push him off where he would die. When Jesus stood for the first time and preached his first sermon after he had been baptized by John in the river Jordan and he had spent 40 days in the wilderness tempted and tested of the devil and he came back and on his inaugural sermon he stood up and the, and the, and the pastor of the temple handed Jesus the scroll and it turned, he turned to the place in, in Isaiah where it was written of him for the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me and he began to preach the gospel and that, that scripture is still read today on the day of atonement and Jesus read and declared himself. He said, he who that speaks of, he stands before you today. And then they went from being astonished to angry. And they took him by force and they led him out to the brow of a cliff to try to throw him off. Because he was 
the one that would come and give his life. And so he, he's literally living out these feasts. And it said, I loved it, he passed through the midst of them. <laughs> James Bond couldn't pass through a crowd like that without, but, but God did it. Supernatural. These goats had to be identical. Now when this got fulfilled would be at his crucifixion, when Pilate would stand, Jesus on one side and Jesus on the other side. You go, what in the world are you talking about, man? There was two Jesuses that day. One was named Jesus Barabbas. His name is Jesus. If the Moffat translation of the Bible and many others even render that. That's why Pilate said, what shall you do? Which Jesus do you want? Do you want Jesus Barabbas, who had caused a murder, riot, was a, was a, Juda, uh, a Judaizer that caused, a, uh, he was trying to evoke Rome and, and, and cause the war to start. What shall I do? Which Jesus do you want? They said, give us Jesus the Christ, the one that calls himself the Messiah. That's the one we want. Crucify him. What shall I do with this one? Set him free. So that's what God did. He took our place. We're the murderers. We're the ones that should have died. Remember when Abraham took Isaac up on that same mountain of which Jesus would give his life called Mount Carmel. Abraham took Isaac to offer him. And, and he pulled back the knife to slay his son in obedience to God. And God says, no, now I know that you love me. Don't do it. And he said, where's the sacrifice? There's a ram caught in the thicket. So the ram took Isaac's place, substitutionary atonement. Jesus took your place, substitutionary atonement. You should have died. I should have died. He took your place. He took your place. Ten days, the day of atonement, and then we come in to the Feast of Tabernacles. God has always wanted a tabernacle with you. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And that Word became manifested and dwelt, your Bible says. But the word dwelt, translated dwelt in English, is the word tabernacle, sukkah. He came and tabernacled with you. And at the end of all of this, John said, I saw a new city, a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven to men. And God said, behold, you'll be my people and I'll be your God and I will tabernacle with you forever. You're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming to you. God's coming to you. I know you want to leave here and go to a planet called heaven. Heaven's leaving where it is coming here and making this heaven. Read your Bible. Oh, I don't get my mansion. It's in the new city. Don't worry. 1,500 miles in a cube. Unseen. Amazing. God's always wanted to tabernacle with you. He's always. And, and all these feasts, these things are not necessarily hidden, but they're not for the lazy. You don't get seeing that just because you're being lazy. And there's so many things. And I just felt like this morning I wanted to show you. You know, when Moses got ready to build the tabernacle, 
God carried Moses. Not a, he didn't carry a, a, a council of people. He carried one man and called him up on the mountain. And on that mountain, God showed him the pattern of the temple. The mosaic tabernacle, we call it. The wilderness tabernacle. And God showed Moses how to, he wanted everything constructed. And I mean, God was very specific about many of those things. The Ark of the Covenant. The golden lampstand. Uh, the table of showbread. The altar of incense. The brazen laver. All, all those things. All of those things depict Jesus and what he would do on the cross. Now, how many of you know how many, you know, in other words, God showed Moses um, this tabernacle, this, this lampstand. Sometimes English Bibles will call it a candlestick, which is erroneous because there was no candles on it. But it was oil, olive oil with wicks. But uh, the lampstand was made out of one talent of pure gold. They debate what that is, anywhere from 75 to 100 pounds of gold. And it was to be a hammered work made out of one solid piece. And it was to have a center shaft, and then it would have the three uh, that came out of both sides. Now, in the holy place, in other words, you had the outer court, and then you come into the holy place, it's surrounded, you know, inside. This was the only light there. If this went out, you couldn't, the priest couldn't see. When they walked into the tent, this would have been on their left side. Across the tent would have been the table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread, symbolizing the 12 nation tribes of Israel. And then you would walk forward, there would have been the tallest piece of furniture, the altar of incense. And then there would have been a veil with the cherubims sewn into it. And behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant, you know, Indiana Jones stuff, right? Ark of the Covenant sealed with the mercy seat with two cherubims looking down at the mercy of God. But just, there's so much teaching in all this. But I just wanted to say something to you, and I just felt it this morning. You, you got a Bible probably in your lap. It's in your iPad now or your iPhone. But it's still the Word of God. And I hope you read it. I hope you cherish it. And I hope you love it. And I hope you're spending time reading God's Word because it reveals a person. God gave it to us. It's a great privilege. I remember one many, many years ago, I sent my youth pastor to... He wanted to go, and I sent him to China on a mission trip. We had two suitcases that he was to carry into Beijing, and this was before that they were even as accepting uh, as they are now. He could have been uh, probably not in prison, but he would have been not allowed entry into the country had they found those Bibles. The Bibles were packed full with Chinese Bibles, and I'll never forget the Sunday morning that we opened those Bibles, the, the, the suitcases full of Chinese Bibles, and we, we, I gathered the church around them, and we laid our hands on those Bibles, knowing that they would go into the hands of Chinese people that were having underground church. Just, it just was touching. So they go, and he gets in, we prayed, and he made it through customs, living out of his backpack, but he carried his, the Bibles in. And I remember when he got back, he said, the strangest thing is when they went to the first underground church, the leader of the church took the Bibles one by one. They were little Bibles, small. I couldn't make out one word of them. And he said he began to tear them to the shock of our youth pastor. He's tearing pages. And the people are just reaching for a page. And they got, each got one page. 
because they were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And all of China was filled with underground churches. And they couldn't give each person a Bible because they wouldn't have enough pages of the Bible. They just wanted a page. And he said, Pastor, why are you tearing them? He said, they will live the rest of their life out of that one page. So thankful for it. We've got them laying around in our houses and many of us don't ever read them. It is so precious. I, I say that not to condemn you, but just to awaken you to the privilege that we have. Just to have the word of God. Now you hold a Bible and this guy, how many books are in the Bible, by the way? Yeah, I love you. 66. How many in the Old Testament? You're not as fast on that. Oh. Make it easy. How many in the New Testament? 27. 39 in the Old. 39, 27, 66. How do you know that's right? What about the book of Maccabees and all these other books that they said they did not get canonized? You think God knows you have 66 books? Do you think he knows that what you hold in your lap that you say this is the authentic word of God is 66 books? Do you think he knows that? Do you think this has caught him off guard that it's really supposed to be, you know, like 72 books, but we're just 66? Or Do you think God's like super smart and knows what he's doing? Anybody besides me think God's super smart and knows what he's doing? And I just want to end this today with just bringing you a little comfort and encouragement. People show up at my house, used to, you know, knock on your door on Saturday morning, wake you up, and they bring you another Bible. Sometimes people pedal up with nice shirts and a real small tie on their bicycle, and they say that this is another testament of Jesus Christ. And I go, I'm having enough trouble with the first one. Let me get that one down first before you bring me another testament of Jesus. Because yours is based on golden plates that nobody's ever found one shred of. At least mine has tons of archaeological support of the reality of its existence. No, thank you. I'll just hang with mine. Although there's many different translations, King James is not what Jesus taught or carried. But you have 66 books. Now, Psalm... 119 said, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, when God gave instructions in Exodus chapter 25 of how this was to be constructed, I find it interesting that God showed Moses a lamp that he wanted built, but yet Moses had zero ability to build the lamp. Listen to me, leaders and preachers. God shows me things that I have no ability to do on my own. So Moses goes and spends time with God, and God gives him a vision of a lampstand that he wants built. So what does a leader do? He comes to the pulpit the next Sunday, Brother Moses does, and he preaches the lampstand sermon. And he just preaches with all of his heart the lampstand, and he, 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 he uh, uh, speaks to the people about what God desires. And in that congregation that Sunday, there is a man named Bezalel, and while Moses is preaching, Bezalel's heart's jumping. And after the service, he comes up to his preacher and says, Brother Moses, I can build that. I'm a craftsman. I'm gifted. You supply the gold. I can do it. Moses says, all right, people, we need to take an offering. 
bring us your gold. You know all that gold that you didn't dig out of the ground and earn but the Egyptians gave you the day before we left Egypt? Yeah, that gold. How about bringing that so we can build this temple for God? The people brought so much gold that you've never heard a preacher say it since. Moses said, don't bring no more. Don't bring any more. I would like to live long enough as a preacher to say, don't bring any more. But here we find ourselves in deficits and lack and so much we could do because people don't even bring enough. God help us. Moses supplies the gold. Bezalel out of that one talent of gold builds this amazing lampstand. I remember many years ago when I was pastoring another church, God showed me in a so, such a strong way. He said, start a Christian school. I know nothing about it. It was so strong on me that this was on Monday night that God spoke it to me. On Tuesday night, I called an emergency elders meeting, and I shared with the brothers what we was going to do by God's help. Had no idea how we was going to bring it to pass. I got up the next Sunday, and I preached about what God had spoke to me. A lady come forward who was a master's degree in, in, as a teacher working in the public system. She said, I can help you with that. We were, me and my husband were sitting around our table last week crying about the need in this county. There's not one Christian school. We were crying about it. She said, Pastor, I'd love to help you with that. I saw my Bezalel. And we went about and built Cornerstone Christian Academy. We ran it for over six years. No exaggerations at all here. Facts. We put over a million dollars in it. No building and property are in that number. Had 18 staff members. Trained ch children. I watched God do miracles. Provision. After, after six years of operating it, I told them that we were turning it over to them. I allowed them in a PTO meeting, you form your own Christian board of education. I give you all the property uh, for one year, no fees. I, we'd bought 10 and a half acres right on the interstate. It's now a, a winery in Sparks. I give you all the furniture, all the computers, all the file cabinets, all the desks. It all belongs to you for free. It's our gift to you. I will also pay X number of $1,000 per month in your first year. That's what apostles do. They start things and they help it go. That school is still going today. It's going strong. They don't remember my name. <laughs> that too is the fate of an apostle. But it's still going strong. My little grandson, Austin's little boy, Abel, is about to go there next year. One day he'll walk the halls of what his papa started in obedience to the Lord and it's there because God said it would be there God's going to speak things to you God's going to awaken things that's already resident in you that you might not even know are there that's part of what coming to church is who are my Bezalels in here God's gifted you for things I can see it but I can't do it I can preach it but you can build it you can go do it God's created every one of you for amazing things I just want to end with this. When the, in, in these instructions to do it, he said, I want you to make this, and I want it to be symbolic, and I want this ornamental stuff to be almonds. An almond seed 
a flower, and a bowl. And so you've got uh, all of these depicted in here, and then at the top would be a bowl where they would pour pure olive oil and they would lay a wick in there and they would light it. It was to burn constantly inside the holy place. And so you got three sets of three. So you've got bud, flower, almond, bud, flower, almond, bud, flower, almond. Uh, and it's on all three. So three times three is what? It's not hard. Three times nine is 27. Here goes your New Testament. The middle one was to have four sets of three because it's symbolic of Jesus. I don't have time to go into the number of 12. Three to four is 12, 12 gates, 12 disciples, 12, you understand? So this depicts Jesus, our chief apostle, and everything comes out of his side. It's all out of him. So we have 12 here. Now it's got to be 27 over here, right? Because it's 27 over here. So 27 and 12 is 39. There's your 39 books. 39 and 27 is 66. And then every ornamental thing here is the 66 books of your Bible that you towed in your lap. Because God knew the word would be a lamp unto your feet. Light unto your path. And if you just look, these things, you talk about a Da Vinci code, forget that man. How about a Jesus code? You know what I'm talking about? There's a, there's a Jesus code. And interwoven in your Bible, that Bible, if you just even knew how exciting and how adventurous and how, it's like digging. I mean, you know, my wife, she, she gets kind of aggravated sometimes. She loves me to pieces, don't you, baby girl? But I like to watch these shows where these guys are trying to find gold. I don't care if they're diving in the water for it, if it's, they're digging for it, but just that whole deal. But that's what's made me all these years want to dig into the Word of God. It's better than any treasure you'll ever find. And God's got, it's not just for some preachers, but I've been studying it a little while, and I'm not bored at studying it. I could say for 40 years strong, that's all I've done. Just read the Word of God. And I never go, my God, I'm sick of reading this mess. Because it's always something new, and I'm still learning, and I'm still being taught by that Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of me. These feasts are there. We're coming to the end today, sundown, of the Feast of Tabernacles for another year. But God wants to tabernacle with you. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be your friend and speak to you and you to speak to him because that's always been the kind of God he is. And I pray you got something out of this today. Amen. If you did, would you stand and give the Lord praise? <clears throat> I want my elders, community group leaders uh, that are here, please come and you can stand in front of the, the board. You don't have to worry about trying to move any of that. But we're, uh, we love you guys, and we want to pray with you and for you if there's any, any uh, desire in your heart for that today. Thank God that he allowed my voice to hold out. Got up this morning, couldn't even talk. <laughs> I said, well, I'll go and smile. Hallelujah. But the Lord's helped us. And uh, we love you guys. And, and uh, just know that, that you know, we, we want to do more than just come and hear a sermon. I believe while I was talking today, some Bezalels was waking up. One thing that was on me strong this morning, and I think it's for somebody, when they was in that wilderness, God brought down manna. In Hebrew, it's manna. And, and that word in Hebrew means what is it? 
<laughs> it really means what is it? That, that they called it angels' food. Remember, it would fall during the night uh, with the dew. They would go out and gather it, except on the Sabbath they didn't gather because the day before God told them to gather twice as much. He told them not to get greedy because if you get greedy, you'll get worms and all that. I'll provide for you. Don't be fearful. And that was to sustain them in their wilderness transition because they were not saved out of Egypt to live in the desert. They were saved out of Egypt to be carried into the promised land, promises of God, just like you. It would be Joshua, Jesus, that would lead them into the promises. It would be Moses that pointed out that this is not home. The law, taskmaster, backbeaten, performance-based, it's not you. Follow him out of here. He will lead you to Joshua, to, to Yeshua, Jesus. It's, it's always been amazing to me that the people got sick of manna. When they first ate it, they go, my God, the best thing I ever put in my mouth, angel's food. It's sweet, but yet it's, and they would just describe it in the Bible. It's wonderful. After a while, they gathered and they told Moses, we're sick of this manna. We're sick of it. We're sick of it. I'm sick of going to church. I'm sick of religion. I'm sick of the Bible. I'm sick of sermons. I'm sick of praying, not getting my prayers out. I'm sick of it. I'm just sick of it. I'm done with it. Yeah. I've heard that. You know why? Because you wasn't made to eat manna for 40 years. You was made to eat manna for two years. And what it is is you're staying in a place that Supposed to have been transition, and you're trying to set up house there. God's saying the fact that you're sick of it is not because of what the substance coming to you. It's you're there too long. I called you for more than that. I called you for bigger than that. And I called you for better than that. You're bored because you're swimming in the shallow end of the pool. And deep down, you're just too scared to go in where it's over your head because you're afraid you'll drown. But it's you. It's not God. If they'd obeyed God within two years, they'd have walked into the promises. And the Bible said as soon as they entered the promised land, the manna ceased. Because God don't want to raise up welfare people. I mean, no offense with that statement. He just, it was welfare. I'm providing. You, you, you're in a bad shape. There's no Walmarts to buy nothing from, so I'm going to provide for you. You need water, it's coming out the rock. You need manna, it's coming from heaven. But now once you're in the promised land, you're going to live off of planting, seed time, and harvest. And there's no limit to what you can do if you just trust me. The day they went into the promised land, the Bible says on that day the manna ceased. Maybe the reason you're feeling sick of some stuff is because you're just there too long. What was meant to be transition, you're trying to make permanent. Don't make a period where God said it should have been a comma. Keep on moving. Don't lose your faith and confidence. Move on into what God's promised you. Has he promised you anything? Do you have a promised land, a promised prophecy, a promise from God? Then go into that promise. Pursue that promise. Walk into what God's promised you. Did he promise you something? Did he promise you a job, a career, a person? Did he promise you something? then claim the promise. 
Make war with your promise. Like I did this morning with something with God. God, I said, I remind you reverently though I do it, but I remind you of this promise you made to me. And I echoed it in his ear this morning. And I reminded him, not because he's forgotten, so that he knows that I ain't forgot. <laughs> and even though everything around me, 360, looks the opposite of what I've been promised, I reminded him again. And I said by my voice, I still believe the promise. And I remind you of your promise to me. God loves it when you do that. When I said that to him, goosebumps went over my body, what I call Holy Ghost bumps. It's like God went, man, I like that boy. I like when you remind me of stuff that I promised you. Just lets me know you ain't lost faith in me. No matter what it looks like, you're built for more than what you're experiencing. You're built for more. Come on, Bezalels. Where I'm going to get the gold, God's going to provide the gold. Young lady there in the blue, baby blue, wave your hand, darling. I don't know you. I don't know you by name. I may have never seen you before. If I have, forgive me. But God's made some promises to you, darling. I don't know how old you are, but you're going to go to college. You're going to go to a great university, and it's going to be one that you never thought you would ever be able to afford. I'm talking about the big boy, and God's going to provide for you, and he's going to work. He's got all that already worked out for you. You're not going to have to worry. It's going to come from a place you didn't even know it was going to come from. But I want you to know this and remember this day that God's promising you that. Don't you worry about your future. Don't you worry about what's before you. Don't worry about the finances and all those things and those dreams in your heart to be that, that career, that person that God's called you to be. God's going to provide that for you as well. Amen. I promise you that in his name. Amen. Oh, yes, he has. The tremendous gifting, artistic gift in you. Oh, God loves you, darling. He loves every one of us. God dreams so many dreams, he gives them away. He gives dreams to men, visions. Gives all those things away. Anyway, I got to be careful here. Crawford's like, go, go, go. <laughs> There's so many of you. You know God's got promises for you. Young men, older men, young ladies. Adam and Lisa, it ain't over yet, buddy. Man, it ain't over yet. Lisa, I know you think it's over, but it ain't over. Transition, transition, movement. I had a preacher this morning sent a vision that his wife had last night. Another city, another town. And he saw a vehicle. And, and he was surrounded by people that they just couldn't get it fixed and going. That vehicle represented his ministry. And, 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 and God told him to come to me. And me, along with the people, we helped lift that car up. And, and he said, I took the Bible and I took a, like an air wrench and I screwed the Bible into the bottom of the car. He said, Pastor, what do you think God's saying? I ain't replied to him yet. But there's people that God's put in your life This part of your destiny greatest thing the enemy wants to do is use something ridiculous to drive you away from them and what God's doing is God's saying that this your ministry son minister ain't over it's fixable 
and it's the foundation of it, the bottom of it is the word of God. And God said, I've called this man to help put that word in you that you need so your ministry can be fixed and go forward into the thing that I've called you to do. So many people need to hear the grace of God, the grace message of God. So many people. And we need to be telling everybody we can tell and inviting everybody we can to this house, not so I'll have a full house to preach to. You got any clue how many sermons I've preached, how many Sundays I've been in church? <laughs> Thousands. But I have not lost a desire to tell men about the goodness of God that we sung about this morning. Amen. So, Father, I thank you for the Bezaleels that are standing here, for the men and women that you have given promises to. And I pray that today they have heard your voice and they will hear your voice and they will know what you've called them to do and that you will provide the goal, you will provide the resources, the provision that they need to fulfill the promise. I pray the joy of the Lord is their portion and I pray they walk in the strength of that joy. And I pray, Father God, that you would make known to them that eternal purpose for which you sent them into this earth. And I bless them in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace Point, we love you. If you want prayer, come on up here. We're